All right, guys, this week's guest, I, I feel like she is my kindred spirit, maybe like a twin separated at birth, but she lives in Connecticut. Um, her name is Mary Morantz, and I've been following her. We've become online friends for a while, and I get the pleasure to talk to her today about her second book, her most recent book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots, and a little background um, on Mary. She grew up in very rural West Virginia um, in a single wide trailer, and because of her father's commitment to um, her education um, and to being able to set her up um, for a life that he wasn't ever able to live. She ended up going to Yale Law School, um, launching her own extremely successful boutique photography business, and now as uh, an author, podcaster, speaker. Um, and what's cool is that um, in her first book, Dirt, she tells her story, her story of her childhood um, and sort of the lies um, that she began to live out of you know, about her identity and where she was from and just that she felt this compulsive need to achieve, to feel worthy, to, to get to move into the life that she always um, wanted but didn't know if she could have. And so her second book, Slow Growth, is about undoing the chains and uh, peeling off the lies and the false layers of achieving for worth that she had built over her 20s and 30s and just sort of the beautiful settling and un beautiful settling and unraveling of that. Um, I really feel like she could have titled it Dear Maddie. I mean, like everything that I wrote, marked, tore out. Um, it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful conversation. It's inspiring for anybody who feels tired or worn out or like you just keep trying to prove and prove and never feel satisfied. So this is my new friend, Mary Morantz. Y'all are going to love her story. Okay, Mary, I just said off camera, I feel like we are long lost sisters, friends, something. Yeah. I just, in the few months we've known each other, I'm just so excited to get to share your story and your heart and your wisdom um, with all my people because I know they're going to love you. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, right back at you. I <laughs> fell in love with you reading your book and then, you know, when you were on the show and everything. But I, just, like, I said this to you in an Instagram DM. Uh, that I don't remember the last time I've been so impressed with a person and that it was the the little things. It was, mm. you know, you saying, hey, can I get a link? <laughs> me being like, sure thing. You might need that. <laughs> um, and just like, you know, you taking the time to just, I, I don't know, like no stuff about the book. Like it just, you could tell you really love people and mm. your heart was just so clear. So well, thank same, you. same that, as that the means short. a lot. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about your book and – I'm also excited to hear your answer to this question, which is how I like to start the show, because as you know, I'm in Nashville, grew up here in a music family, Music City. Um, so I like to ask everybody to start the show. If you had a walkout song for your life right now, you know how they do <laughs> baseball games. What would be the song playing behind Mary going, you know, fourth quarter, 2023, <laughs> what's your walkout song? Okay, are you ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. Eminem's Lose Yourself. <laughs> you know, I I don't we may have had that answer once last season. I don't know if it was Lose Yourself, but it was Eminem. And it those answers make me so happy. I am thrilled and honestly, that's like on my repeat workout playlist. Yes. Nothing can bump yeah. you up like that. I love it. Well, fun fact, I actually so I don't know if you had this as well when you were writing uh Lemons on Friday, but um did you um, did you have like a, a routine that you had to do every morning? So for me, it was listening to Eminem's Lose Yourself. 
because there's so this line about you get one shot, do not miss your chance to yeah. blow, you know? And I felt like I yeah. got one shot to tell the story well. And he talks about, you know, mom, I love you, but this trailer's got to go, which yeah. we we'll get into. And so I just feel like um, I am reaching a point in my life where I realize I do not want to miss the things that God has for me or the mm. places I'm being asked to go because, you know, I'm just – I, I want to lose myself. I want to get over myself. I want to get out of my own way. Oh, and I just want to do yeah. the things. Yeah. And that's so good. That's so good. And <laughs> definitely is a lot of what we talk about in your latest book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots, which we are going to just dissect in every beautiful way. Um, but so people know more about your history, you reference the trailer in the song, uh, give us the reader's digest of your story and your childhood and, and sort of how that brought you to the Mary that wrote this second book that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So I was born in 1980. Nobody do the math. <laughs> Actually do the math, whatever. Like 43 this <laughs> Own it, year. Girl. My, you my, look both fab. of my mom's parents passed away in their forties. So I feel every year is a gift. Oh, um, so single wide trailer in the 1980s, my parents bought it like 1978, which if you don't know anything about single wide trailers made in 1978, they are not made to last. <laughs> this is not a built to last scenario. It is a giant tin can. And uh, in in West Virginia at the time, the sort of thing to do with a single wide trailer was you built on kind of a little lean to shack. That was sort of the addition that you built on. And we did not help matters at all because we were... Uh, me and the neighborhood kids, we were like feral cats, basically. <laughs> like you leave at sunrise, you do not come yeah. home until well after dark. And we would actually climb up on top of this trailer in the rain and slide along the. Hey, roof, you got to make know? do with what you have. I mean, that's basically what a water park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, a giant, very painful slip and slide. And <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Surprising to no one, this thing starts leaking. Of course. Um, and you know, I say that it got to the point where it felt like it would rain just as hard inside as out. Mm. And my people are the people who know what drywall ceiling looks like <laughs> before it gives way, the soggy ceiling before it gives way in a pregnant pause right before the downpour. And these dark, muddy waters kept pouring down. And so it would pour through the ceiling into the floor, into this brown shag carpeting. Mm. Um, mushrooms would grow out of the carpet at some point and stray animals would yeah. just, you know, go inside. It was, it was, it was. Uh, an adventure, we'll say. Um, and so that's where I was born and raised. My dad's a logger. My mom cleaned houses. And then she actually um, ends up leaving when I'm nine to go both to leave to kind of chart her own story, but also to kind of travel um, to do remodel for a chain store. It doesn't really matter. Um, and that was sort of my story. And, and what's very interesting, and I talk about this in Dirt, is that my story started out very similar to my dad's. We went to the same grade school, the same Sunday school. We were literally growing up in the same yard because they just parked the trailer on the backyard of my grandparents' house. And my dad saw that my trajectory was heading in the very same direction as his, which was he started working in the woods when he was 12. Not that I would have to do that in particular, but mm -hmm. that there just wouldn't be options. And so he was the one who said, well, you're, you know, you're going to go to college, first mm -hmm. of all. And like, he really wanted me to be prepared for school. So he actually was the one who started me in workbooks before I ever went to kindergarten so that I was in sixth grade reading and fifth grade math by the time I started kindergarten. That's crazy. And that just sort of set up this trajectory to yeah. end up at Yale Law School, which is what Dirt is about. Yeah, that's and that's your first book, Dirt, which if I don't knock my mic out of the way, I have here as well. Yeah. Um, that's right. It is, it is so beautiful and poetic. All of your writing is. You're an exceptional you. writer. And I just think that speaks um, – 
such volumes to your dad just to have mm-hmm. that foresight and and be able to fight for what he didn't you know get a chance to fight for for himself and and as you said that that led you to Yale Law School which is I mean you are the the underdog American dream kind of story right we want to see in a movie and and I've heard you say before that you know that narrative I think people just assume that man that's all success like that's there's no downside right. to this story she did it she conquered it you know so yeah. tell us sort of you know you say dirt was written to the girl in the trailer right this is your your story yeah. and you say that your latest book slow growth equals strong roots is uh to the woman after the trailer um mm. and you have a a specific name for her called the most put together woman in the room that you've then That's changed right. to another term and and so I guess sort of talk to us about in this this achievement and in this overcoming, which is a beautiful, good thing and such a gift and inspiration, where did that, I don't want to say turn ugly or turn dark, but where did you start to realize, you know, this woman who's the most put together woman in the room wasn't going to be the you that was going to save you? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're asking this question. It's, it's, this is like, for me, it was so wildly important to get this message out in dirt and then to deal with it actually, Mm. like, how do you actually break free of this in slow growth? So I wanted people to know how primal, visceral and survival achieving for our worth can become for Mm. those of us, especially if we have a hard story. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like the switch gets flipped in us, whether that's when we're little and we didn't grow up with a lot or, you know, something happens as a grown up, but the switch gets flipped in us that says, you have to run and not stop running from your story or failure will catch you. Mm. And it kind of reminds me, I liken it in dirt to this girl in the red cape running her way out of the deep dark woods, the branches clawing and scratching at her clothes, leaving a trail of breadcrumbs behind her Mm. to the places that she's been, the big bad wolf ripping at her heels. She runs and doesn't stop running because she knows if she stops, it just might kill her. Mm. But what I say in that book in dirt is finally breathless and wild eyed and exhausted. I look back over my shoulder and I see it. I am the girl in the red Uh. cape but I'm also the wolf. Yeah. And this voice in my head telling me to run and not stop running is my own. And so what's cool is in slow growth, we actually revisit that scene Mm. this time from the perspective of the wolf. And it says, I chase and don't stop chasing this version of me. I was Mm -hmm. born to protect. I, my heart breaks that I've scared her away again. These wide open palms, um, you know, now have are scarred with wounds. There's a thorn in the paws why we're roaring and wailing. And so, yes, for me, I feel like, you know, I say in dirt, what if success is where the real trouble begins? Because mm. you lay your head down at night in the cool cotton sheets. You've gotten everything you've ever wanted. Yale Law has called on the phone yeah. and said, Willy Wonka style, you get a golden ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. <laughs> and it still doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. You still feel like you don't belong. You still feel like you don't matter. You still yeah. feel like you can walk into any room and all people see is this eight-year-old you mm. from the trailer. Yeah. And so the journey of slow growth is, okay, can you actually give up achieving for your worth? Like, is that even possible? Yeah, this right. thing that I'm putting out there? Can I do it? You know, I'm writing this book in my 40s and hadn't had much success with it up till that point. So like, can it even be done? Yeah. That image is so powerful. I've obviously read it and heard you speak about it, um, of the wolf and, and the woman running. And um, I wonder for you, like, was there a specific wolf moment? Like, was there a breaking point or an aha or a 
pardon my French, like, oh shit, this has really got a hold on me and I've got to stop. I mean, was there a moment for you or was it sort of a slow realization? Uh, both and, I yeah. would say, you know, I think, I think what's really tricky about achieving for your worth is like a lot of things we struggle to let go of is you get it under control coming in the front door and you got your eyes keeping watch there mm. and it's sneaking in the side door. Mm. And so, I mean, man, you want to test giving up achieving for your worth, try writing a book about it. Yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah, which is I get all it. about metrics. <laughs> you know, there's, there, there are actual literal lists you have to, to try to hit or what have you. And so, um, I think the, I think one of the moments for me was, was getting into Yale for law school. That's literally the number one law school in the country. Yeah. It is, it is write your own ticket style. You can do anything that you want. And to to get into that law school and and feel even worse, to feel even mm. more like a fraud, to feel even more like oh, wow. I don't belong here. Um, you know, I was actually, I don't even know if this is going to go anywhere, but we'll see. I was thinking about <laughs> this the other day is um, I spent all three years of law school feeling like it's a mistake that I'm here, which they actually address, by the way, Maddie, on the first um, the two, administration like the two days of orientation. Say that again. The administration. Yeah, the that? administration during orientation. Wow. They say you're all going to be sitting here feeling like you made a mistake, that we made a mistake, and you're not supposed to be here. Oh wow! And we want you to hear it that you're all feeling that way. And I still thought, nope, just me. Yeah, just me. The rest of them were fine. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, like I had really, really good grades. I had a really, really good LSAT score, but. Everybody does. Yeah, right. At Yale, school. yeah. You know, like it is, you are completely normal mm -hmm. at that point to be in high 90th percentile, high 99th percentile, whatever. And I remember specifically thinking, oh, my LSAT score was something like, this is so, people are listening and be like, oh my gosh, this girl. It was like 96th percentile and like 99th is usually like the, you know, that's what they're looking for. Right. And so I thought the whole time, that 3% disqualified and like you. a month ago, yeah. a month ago, this is how recent this is. It hit me like a bolt. They probably had prep classes for that. They probably took yeah, courses. Of course they did. The oh better. my gosh. And I didn't. And But for three years plus 20 years or whatever, yeah. I've spent thinking I'm disqualified before I even begin. And I know that's a really annoying, like that's, that's, that's the sort of mm, crux of being the most put together woman in the room as you say, annoying things like that. But when we say it, we don't do it to be like humble bragging. We genuinely right. believe, believe we're disqualified. Yeah, yeah. You, you say in the book, uh, multiple times that that girl in the trailer that you were trying to run from, you felt like she was always ahead of you and always the one introducing you to the rooms you walked into, like that you couldn't yeah. beat her there to then, you know, not manipulate, but be able to control the story of how people saw mm -hmm. you and, and what you were bringing to the table. And, and so you started to become the most put together woman in the room and started to lean on, you know, the, the validation and the worthiness that comes from things like Yale that comes from, a beautiful, successful photography career, which you did with your husband for so long. And I guess, I guess my question to you as, as certainly not coming from the background that you came from, and I was thinking about this today, almost the opposite in a way that you were running towards success for, I imagine, safety and value and worth and all these things where I was privileged to grow up in a family where success was what we saw all the time mm -hmm. with my father's career and just everything that he achieved. And so maybe I was running toward not wanting to lose something that I had grown up with. So it's, 
I, totally different, but yeah. I, I say that to say what I'm what I said to you before. I just I empathize with this message so much, and and I'm so grateful that you have the courage to say, you know, these aren't bad things. Like Yale Law School is a great thing. Success is a great thing. Selling, hopefully, we both sell a million books. That's a great <laughs> thing. But how do we not become consumed by them? How do we not um, make them idols that that will never live up to what we're expecting them to live up to and provide for us. You use the analogy, you felt like achieving was oxygen. It felt like that much of a necessity, you use the word primal. So I guess yeah. what I would love to hear from you on in this process of of healing and, and recovering and, and finding new life, like we can't stop doing stuff, right? So like how do right. we, how do we not achieve for our worth? How do we deal with this essentially addiction where, you know, we can't stop working. We can't stop doing things where if it was like a substance, you could stop, right? Or that would be the goal. Right. But with this, right. how do we keep dreaming? How do we keep building and writing um, and not let that wolf kind of scenario start to play out again? Yeah. First of all, I just want to tell you that I, I actually was thinking about you the other day and I think about this often um, when you were just discussing, like, you know, I, I grew up in a trailer and I'm running from that and, and you, the way that you grew up, the thing I was thinking about in particular is I'd noticed like, you know, when I'm sharing the episode or, you know, I was telling my editor, Kelsey, that was super excited about having you on. And I, I said, oh, you know, Maddie, Maddie Jackson, Alan Jackson's daughter. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to make a really intentional point of saying this is Maddie Jackson, my friend. Yeah. You know, um, this, that this is, it's not just that that's like the only uh, qualification around you. Like, I want to get to know Maddie, the person, you know? And so I think there can be that. Like, we each have these legacies, Mm -hmm. um, for better or for worse, Mm -hmm. where we are carrying them with us, but we're also carving our own path. Mm -hmm. And so I just always want to be aware of that. So, So talking about, you know, how do we start to move forward? How do we still chase dreams? How do we still mm-hmm. accomplish things? Do we not just like sit down and lay in, you know, the fetal position for yeah, the rest right. of our lives and say, I guess I won't do anything then. So I talk about in Slow Growth, there's this part where I talk about these two versions of me and I say, there's this one version of me. She's at peace. She's playing. The, her jaw relaxes from the rocky shoreline of this, you know, clenched tension of feeling like she's running out of time. And that version of me knows exactly what I was put here for, the use of my gifts, the use of my story in service to others Mm. for your ultimate glory for the rest of my life. That's it. Every day I wake up and I say, what do you have for me today, God? That's Mm. it. The problem is that version of me, like those nesting dolls is held inside this other version (laughs) that is one big raw nerve ending or, or maybe like a million tiny raw nerve endings where every little puff of cold air can send me roaring Mm. back into survival mode into achieving for my worth into running from that wolf. And, um, you know, it's like this whole idea of like, I'm flying down the highway a hundred miles an hour and my hair's on fire and I like the way it burns. Yeah. And there's a part in that section in particular that talks about because clothes became a very, you know, a good pair of jeans became the good life because we didn't have a ton of nice clothes growing up. And so, um, I say there, I have more stacks of sweaters than there could ever be enough versions of me to wear. Mm. Because this illusionist in the distance, one mm-hmm. of the many versions of the women, woman always performing, I talk about in the book. So most put together woman in the room, this one is too relentlessly hard on herself to ever consider herself put together. So we said, well, everybody can recognize 
the times when they're performing. Mm -hmm. And the illusionist in particular says, I am chasing this illusioned, illuminated, perfect version of me on a mountaintop. Mm. She has not serial killer handwriting like I do. (laughs) She eats (laughs) the bag of kale in the back of her refrigerator. She gets things turned in on time, whatever. And we're just perpetually, perpetually, perpetually Mm. chasing it. And so she's the thing that happens as we chase her is she splinters and divides. There's this army of supposed to be that splinters and divide whose only hope is that you hide. Mm. Um, And so as we chase them, we think we have to have put on this costume of a persona to fit in here and this costume of a persona to fit in here. And we end up with all of these things and we forget who we even are, Mm. what we actually even like in the process. So I think it's a stripping away. It's a stripping away of this outer layer, outer layer, like an onion, outer layer, outer layer, outer layer. So we get to that core, the use of my gifts, the use of my story version Mm. of us, but also till we can introduce ourselves into a room and not mention a single accolade or even, even thing that we're wearing. Yeah. What did that stripping look like for you, like practically, personally, Mary, in sort of the unraveling of the achievement? (laughs) Here's a good moment. Here's a really powerful moment. I work with a coach named Kim Butler from the White Boardroom who's phenomenal. And she would come up once a year and we would sort of do a recap of the year that had just passed and we would set goals for the year coming. And her business is called the White Boardroom because she brings these really large poster boards And so she does this exercise where she writes your name really big in the middle and we start writing down all of the things, all these dreams that I've held for years that had come true. And the second they came true, it was like, well, whatever, that's nothing. I'm on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so we write them all down and she's like, look, look, look at what this year, you know, the fruit of this year. And I just looked at it and I said, but I'm the unhappiest I've ever been. Mm. And she just like something in her just sort of snapped because she'd been like hearing this from me for a couple of years. She was sort of done with it at that point. And she was like, okay, fine. And she's using her arms. She's using everything she has to kind of cover up all of the goals and the achievements until all is left is my name. And she said, what we have to figure out is who is Mary? She slams my kitchen yeah. island. Who is Mary without all of this other stuff? Wow. You know, who, who is that person? Yeah. Who is she without all of this other stuff? And I say in the book, I know what she wanted me to say in that moment. I knew what the correct answer was supposed to be. I was supposed to say, I'm a child of God. And, yeah, loved. Yeah. and all I could scream at her in that moment was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then we both kind of like big eye emoji uh, yeah. looked at each other and she said, well, we got to work on that. Yeah. Okay. Where do we go? And that's here? really what writing slow, that's how slow growth was born. Mm. That happened before I started writing slow growth. And it's what writing that book and launching that book and even to this day talking about that book has been is who am I if it all gets taken away? Mm, That is so beautiful. And yeah, I just wonder as you have gone through that process and written and released and promoted and kind of lived through the truth of what slow growth is, is the Mary that you're continuing to find um, like the, the Mary in the trailer? at all or or is she different Mm. okay that's one of my favorite questions i've ever had let me think (laughs) about this for a second um well what's really cool i'll say this i'll say this when i released dirt like put that out into the world up until that point justin and i've been known for this very vanity fair vogue black and white luxury editorial Mm -hmm. really just you know high fancy, fancy, fancy photography, but especially we were known for our black and white mm-hmm. images. We have black and white presets, et cetera. And when I released Dirt, I could not get enough color. I was mm, like, I love Brewster, 1980s, yeah. like rainbow, everything, puffer jackets. Yeah. Like I, I mean, really like truly some, 
And I, I remember especially feeling in that moment that this little girl, mm. Mary, had finally been let out of this mm. box I've been trying to put her in my whole life, um, which makes me want to cry because, you know, that's a very long time to yeah. put this version of you away. Um, I would say that if I had to really pinpoint it, I think the version of me coming out of slow growth is informed mm-hmm. by the little girl, Mary. Yeah. But she's also informed by the wolf. Yeah. And she's informed by who I am and what I'm learning every day. I think she's a brand new me. Mm. And that's been very disconcerting at times. <laughs> I, because I guess so. You're a stranger yeah. to yourself suddenly in your 40s. What is happening? Yeah. And I think it's like it's uncharted territory. And if I had to say a, a theme of my life right now, it's uncharted territory. Mm. It's the most bizarre high of yeah. highs and the low of lows. Yeah. And um, I think... Uh, I actually, just before we hopped on together, I had Ashley Morgan Jackson on my show. She was talking about these seasons when you're wrestling with God mm-hmm. and he takes you away by yourself and he holds you there and, yeah. and you say, I'm not going to let go until yeah. we see the blessing of this. And you wrestle and you wrestle and he's showing you what's frustrating you and asking you to both persevere, but be willing to lay down a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I think that's where I am. Yeah, yeah it's, man. It's brand new. That's so hard because it is uncharted territory. And you feel like you, you talk in the book about when you do have, you know, the courage or the breaking point or whatever happens to incite this really intentional, you know, work to slow and to reroute, you know, your value metric to not be a metric, right? That's the thing is like, I want to measure to see that I've progressed. I want to measure to see that I matter. I want to measure to see if people listen to the show, you know, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it takes such intentional mind and heart and, and, and spirit work to really at the end of the day or beginning of the morning, be like, my value is just Mary Morantz because God made me Mary Morantz and he won't let go of me. He's, he's staying here and he's fighting for me. And when you do slow, I appreciated this a lot in the book you said that um, if we stop achieving for worth, doing to define our being, then what? And that struck me because I remember telling someone at some point, it's not even that I'm afraid to fail. I just don't want to be stagnant. Like stagnant feels worse to me than failing because you can spin a failure into a lesson, you know, but stagnant makes me want to vomit. So I appreciated this. And I wonder in the last couple years of you really living this journey, like what is your then what? Like how do you deal with the silence? Because that's that's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's um, there's a part in slow growth where I talk about this. Had actually come up on Knox McCoy had been on the show. I always like to give credit to people who really said it. Uh, Knox McCoy was on the show and he was talking about his book. And this was when we first started talking about this idea of the reason that we learn. Because this is in this part that says, at a certain point, the big bad wolf is afraid of us. Mm. At a certain point, we have caged this wild animal and made it dance in our three ring circus show, one where we always get to be the high wire act. And the reason, you know, we we learn how to twist mm-hmm. that thorn to send it roaring back into fight or flight. So it keeps chasing. If we can't stop running, it can't stop chasing us. And so, you know, the reason that we kind of do that, um, is that we are afraid that if we stop, we might just disappear altogether. Mm. If we don't have a new highlight reel to share, a new gold star, a new thing to share with our families to make them proud, like we become that tree 
in the forest you know do we even make a sound if there's not a new highlight like does the mm. highlight reel in the forest even make a sound if there's no one there to see it basically yeah. and i think i think that's been the real struggle in my life is like if there's not something i can you know you had mentioned this earlier about walking into the room and who's introducing me there's this part in dirt where i talk it's one of my favorite parts it's so quirky and so weird um <laughs> it's talking about i have a butler who introduces me into most rooms and in my head my butler is like dwight Schrute from that episode <laughs> of the office where he's oh like, my gosh you know how awesome. jim halford has arrived at the park yeah. and my butler is sharing all of these things that i've done or um you know things we've been able to accomplish, think not knowledge that we now have, not because I want that person to be impressed. This is a really hard thing for people to believe when they hear this, if they're not wired this way, it mm -hmm. is not because I want somebody to be impressed. It's because I want them to know the ways that I could help them so that they don't feel like my mere presence is wasting their time. Wow. Yeah. Yes. That's brutal, right? Yeah. That's brutal. I and so that. going back to your question of like, where am I finding bits of little Mary in this season? I think if anything that I'm really in this uncharted territory that I'm finding of her, it's falling in love with all of that stuff that I used to think were weaknesses. It's her tender heart. Oh, yeah. Um, it's her old soul. It's her witty sense yeah. of humor. It's her very random ability to weave the office and <laughs> Aristotle into one <laughs> sentence. You yeah. know, I mean, I don't think I was quite doing that when I was little, but you know, um, yeah, I think it's just falling in love with all of those ways. I am very much an introvert. I'm very much an empath. I, you know, just all the things that I thought were like disqualifying, mm -hmm. you know, extroverts who are popular and yeah. have endless energy rule the world or what have you. And, and God has really been showing me the particular mission he has for people wired like me. I think that's, beautiful and it really hits home with me because I was thinking about you know you you rename the the most put together woman in the room is the woman who's always performing and you have yeah. five different sort of subcategories if you will of different ways that we perform um for mm. worth and I thought that was really interesting and it, it got me thinking I've had this conversation with close friends before because I love and I'm so grateful to get to do what we do. Like, I love to have conversations. I'm not worried that there's a camera sitting in front of me. I don't mind to speak to mm -hmm. thousands of people if I feel like the message matters. You know what I mean? But when mm -hmm. I, I remember taking the Enneagram test years ago when I first got into it. I think you're familiar because I think I've heard yes. you speak about it. Um, and without the blink of an eye, I'm through and through an Enneagram three. And I remember reading it and being like, but I don't like to perform. Like I would never wanted to be on the stage. I never wanted attention. I was also yeah. a very shy kid. And, and really at the end of it, I think I'm probably more introvert than extrovert. I definitely love people, but you know, kind of on my terms, cause I want to control, I think how I'm perceived if I'm getting really honest for mm -hmm. no reason, besides yeah. that I love talking to you, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's a weird combination. If you're really not actively seeking attention as much as it just goes back and back and back to approval, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. that's the that's the theme through the whole book. And I remember, I do have a rambling point here. The way that I was able <laughs> to sort of cognitively connect little Maddie, who was really shy and didn't want attention, to the me that loves to promote things and be with people and, and have a voice, it really all came down to how was I getting approval? And it was because like you, I 
was an A plus student and I was an athlete and I was kind and compassionate and I, you know, the teachers would always write complimentary things on my report cards. And so you just start to believe that that really is the currency for approval. And then at some point yeah. it becomes this, you know, obsession with, it is attention in a way. So anyway, I'm just kind of processing mm. my own self no. with you now. No, I love this. But I love this because one of the things I really love about the Enneagram is that it is not who you are at your core. It's the mask you put on when you were little mm -hmm. because when you first started to understand the world around you, you said, oh, got it. That's how I earn love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's a story. I'm going to share this really quickly. Um, this, this, If I could like pinpoint a moment when I was like, got it be like achieve a bunch because I am an Enneagram. F I thought I was an Enneagram three for a very long time, but I'm an Enneagram four, very strong uh, mm -hmm. wing three. They call it a self-preserving four. Oh, wow. So I'm a four at my, my core, level. but I achieved to get to safety. And so the moment I know that I picked up this mask, I know it without a doubt. I was four years old, Sunday school, Sunday, you know, little church down the road had the huge Christmas pageant every year. And my dad just got it into his head that at four years old, I was going to stand in front of the whole church. Like, I mean, we're talking standing room only, like everybody in this community comes out and recite from start to finish without reading just from memory. It was the night before Christmas. Oh my god! a long poem. That's a long poem. It is a long I poem. I don't think I could do that in my 40s. Wow. I really couldn't do that. Yeah. Can you recreate that for us, please, for Christmas? <laughs> we practice that every single night. Like the reason that the cover of Dirt if you look at it, the letters are smudged is because mm -hmm. he would, his dirty hands would leave fingerprints yeah. on the workbooks. Anyway, so I get up, he says to me before I, you know, spotlight, dark church, big bright light in your face. Can't see anybody but him actually. Um, he says to me, don't fidget and don't mess it up. Oh, God. Thanks. Sir. <laughs> and that start talk, to finish Dad. in front of everybody. Yeah. I did it. I did it. The next year, it was twas the night before Jesus came, which is a real thing. I didn't oh. know that until until sure. I was five, and most people don't know that now. Um, and I messed it up a bunch. I didn't practice as hard, and I messed it up. And so I have these two very powerful back-to-back -back years of like super, super nailed it, made him proud. Like he, I think, you know, used me to show all the people in the community that like he was going to do something good yeah. through me. Legacy, yeah. Um, and then the next year, messing it up, and so. I'm sitting there, the, the five-year-old version of me, mm. swinging my little feet with the Mary Jane patent leathers, and they would always bring a present for the kids to open after the pageant was over under the tree, and everybody opened their present, and I didn't open mine, and my dad came up and said, are you going to open your present? And I said, no, I didn't earn it. And he said, well, this present is not because you did anything, uh. it's because I love you. And so um, I think that's how God is. Yes. You know, we try to earn it. We try to earn it. But some of these gifts are just because he loves us. Yeah. And so we can go forward in the things he's calling us to and the things, these like glimpses we have yeah. as, as an ambitious person. They're not wrong. No. Right. These, mm -mm. They're, they're little glimpses, just, just little breadcrumbs yeah. of how good it's going to get. We can go forward chasing them not chasing them because we're striving for them, but like holding onto his hand and running towards them yeah. like kids playing in a field. Yeah. Not because we did anything to earn it, but because it's just something he has for us. Yeah. That's a beautiful picture. Um, and there was a moment in here that was also one of the most striking for me. Um, same idea, but rather than seeing, you know, seeing God's perspective on how he loves us, why he loves us, which is simply because he made us and he adores us. You talk about a moment or a season when you were kind of in a hustle moment, like launching something, working really hard, um, and that a friend of yours sent you a text. You're like on the edge of burnout. 
And the text said, I'm so proud of you, but I love you more than I'm impressed by you. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can think immediately of the people in my life who are that voice to me when I need to hear it. And now Mm -hmm. I know to go to that. Like there will be moments of (laughs) clarity and maturity where I'm like, oh gosh, I need to, I need to hear that message from them today because they are impressed. Like 96 percentile LSAT score is impressive, you know, like (laughs) it is writing a book is hard work and, and people should be impressed by that work. But it's like at the end of the day, that doesn't really give me a sounder place to sleep at night if people are impressed with me. But when Mm -hmm. they look at me and say, man, I am, you've done some good stuff, but like, I love just sitting in a room with you and telling stupid jokes with you and taking your dog for a walk. And, and so that struck me in such a way. And, and I, I wonder if you, you've mentioned Kim and your husband, do you have those certain people that you keep close for the moments that you need to be unimpressive? Yeah. Yes. Yes is the short answer. Nicole Zazowski is another author in Connecticut who's the one who sent that text to me. And so she's somebody who who writes about, you know, celebrating your wins and um, what if it's wonderful. And I and love she's that just book. Like a really, one of my favorite yes. books I read a couple of years ago. She's amazing. Yeah. You should have her on the show. I you have would love to. Yes. Um, I'll make that. Um, and so, uh, yes, I think having those people, and I think there is like a, an interesting delicate balance where, um, you, I think you need to say to your friends, like, this is what I most need from you. I just need to be able to be Mary. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be on, I want to be able to be on our porch. I don't want to like necessarily, you know, answer a million questions about book stuff or whatever but at the same time I need you to also be proud of me yeah and you don't have to swing so far to the other extreme where we pretend like none of this is happening right so it's a balance yeah I think and like that's like a series of conversations of like here's how to sort of love me well and like my friends know when I'm gonna kind of go hibernate yeah (laughs) yeah for a few months to get a book across the line and things like that but yeah it's like you need a little bit of both I think it's like the love languages you know like we all we're not gonna like get rid of any of them yeah exactly (laughs) But, um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Nicole and I actually, I interviewed her several years ago on the, uh, my other podcast I used to do. And I, about what if it's wonderful and you, you kind of end, um, slow growth talking about this idea of celebration that you just mentioned why it's so important. Um, and can, can you share your little Prosecco split story? Because, you know, I am a champagne girl. I am a bubble (laughs) girl. I'm a celebrator. Like the reason I have this show is because in walking through the absolute darkest valley, as I've talked with you about before, I didn't realize how much agency we had to choose joy. Of all the things that we can't control, Mm. of all the things that we can't manipulate, you talk about ripping roots out of the ground to make them grow faster. I was like, amen. Like, I wish I could microwave the hard parts of life. (laughs) And you can't. And so to me, this idea of intentional celebration, even if they're tiny, even if it's a hard season, almost even more so, right, in a hard season or in a busy season, the power of celebration, and you've embraced that, and you have your splits. Tell us about y'all's little situation. Yes. Well, I think the biggest thing that this grew out of was I started to get really alarmed at the window of time when I felt good about a dream coming true getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. You know, there would be a goal that maybe we've been working towards for 10 years, and to a certain extent it's to be understood because as you are, you're never the same person on the day you see a goal come true as the day you were standing there. 
dreaming of it the first time. Yeah. You know, years pass, you change, you get closer, things become more normal. It's more, it's super normal for me to just hang out with Maddie and talk to her <laughs> on her show. This is normal. This is normal. Um, right. And so we, we can get so caught up in that race and in that heart palpitation. You know, we talked earlier about achieving becomes our oxygen. If we go too long without another wind to share, we feel like we can't breathe. Mm. Perfection is the penance we pay to take up space in the room. And so I noticed that with each progressive thing that was happening, and these were like dreams of a lifetime coming mm. true and like bright, vivid, living color, neon, blinking lights, one after another. And all I could do would be like, okay, great, great, great. Okay, what's next? What's next? And we actually, a couple years ago, did a full-on bus tour where we went coast to coast with our faces plastered on the side. Oh, wow. The what's next tour with Justin and Mary. So I'm a big what's next girl. Mm -hmm. And it was like I noticed the window of time going from like, a full week of celebration mm. to a day, to an hour, to a minute, to a second, to like barely even a blip on the radar. And we knew that something had to give because we were missing it. Mm. We were missing all of it. Yeah. In this fog, in this haze, in this racing mind, racing heart, what's next, what's next, what's next? And so we started buying these little bottles, they call them like mini splits yeah. of champagne so that we forever have champagne on hand it's it's just small enough so you don't have you know yeah it's like a glass <laughs> a huge hangover the next <laughs> day. glass and out not too bad of a headache um but there's there's always a way to market mm. you know there's something about that popping yeah. of the bottle yeah. and you know the bubbles and we have special glasses yeah. we got for our wedding what have you and it's just about kind of like what nicole talks about with like this savoring mm, and like creating these it. rhythms of marking when life is happening. Cause I, in slow growth, I also talk about like, I don't want to be just a headlines girl. I don't want to just live for these like six days of yeah. my life or even 60 days of my life when the most amazing things happen and all the other days get missed. So we can use those for the little things too. They don't yeah. all have to be these huge moments. Yeah. I think almost it's, it takes more discipline to pause for the little things because that's right. For whatever reason you don't think, you know, they're not a big deal. They're not worthy of celebrating. This is just what life this is what I should do, right? And it's like, okay, maybe it is what you should do. But also it can bring you a lot of joy and it's maybe worth pausing to say, I did do that and I did it well and it brought life yeah. and let's let's rejoice yeah. in that. And um, I would love to, we could go on and on, but I would love to since we're on this topic. I have to apologize to you. I, I desecrated your beautiful book because <laughs> I loved the celebration prayer so much. And y'all who are on the YouTube, you can see just it's chock full of all of her beautiful photographs and it's very... It's just beauty in every page. It's not just your writing. But can I read this little prayer for us, for, yes. for girls who need slow growth and everybody else? Um, yes. It says, God, this is the day that you have made. Teach me to rejoice and be glad in it. This day in my life does not surprise you, Lord. You made it exactly for me, exactly in your timing, always on time and never late. Help me to find my way back to celebrating God, celebrating everything every breath in my lungs, every beat of my heart for the magic they really are. This miracle where the rest of the world sees only mundane. Help me to be present in my real, actual life. Slow me down so I really see it. Every day that you open my eyes, every day new dawning, every new day dawning is a day that is worthy of all the confetti, worthy of all the celebration, and I'll rejoice in it because of you. And I would add, worthy mm -hmm. of all the Prosecco splits. So... Yeah, <laughs> that yes. is if 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 you're OK with that, that is sort of the benediction I want to I want to leave these people with is the power of celebration, the power of pause and the courage to. To live in slow growth, I mean, 
Yeah. It's it's beautiful, and and I just want to know too on the topic of celebrations. How I love to end every show is because we're all about chasing joy. What is one thing bringing you joy right now, Mary? You know what? It's kind of an ongoing, eternal answer, but um, we have a sign by our bed that says. Uh, you, me, and the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> you, me, and the dogs. And I mean, I would add in this house because we've worked really, really hard. It's an 1880s fixer-upper by the sea in New Haven, Connecticut. We worked really, really hard to bring it back to life. So we just, I think that's something this season has been teaching me over and over. This uncharted season is like, that's really, that's that's all we need. Yeah. You know, the, the rest of it will sort of come and go and that's fine. Um, but you, me, and the dogs. Um, and y- yeah. y'all have retrievers, and- right? Golden we do. Okay. They're so great that we have Goodspeed and Atticus. I and um, love John it. Acuff told me my dog names were hipster names. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not fair and because you probably them. read them in kindergarten. You probably read To Kill a Mockingbird <laughs> yeah. in kindergarten. And so that's, that's right. why your dog is Atticus, <laughs> which is impressive that's right. That's right. Uh, and cool. <laughs> no, that's awesome. But yeah, they're, they're really great. It's like having two comfort. You know, we, we were actually pretty solid during, um, you know, lockdown times because we could walk by the water and we had our comfort dogs and we already worked from home so yeah we 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 continue to rely on them um but yeah we uh before we go let's definitely tell the people about the achiever quiz because i think that yes please okay tell us the lot. five achiever types and where they can do the quiz yeah so um like we've said all along in the book we started off saying it was the most put together woman in the room we quickly realized it was more the woman always performing fun backstory super fast as i was writing this book, we had taken the photos that are in the book six years before simply because we were burnt out in our photography. We needed to do something for us. We flew to Venice and did a bunch of photo shoots there, very high fashion, um, conceptual photo shoots. We did a ballerina shoot here in New Haven, and then they sat on hard drives for six years. Well, then I start writing this book, and I'm trying to put words to like these things that I've felt. You know, um, I'm only as high as the next upswing of a highlight reel that will catch me. I'm up and down and everywhere in between. My days have always been defined by the latest good thing that's happened to me, like a tightrope walker. Mm -hmm. I'm always on my toes like a performer. I'm twisting myself up into tiny tethered knots because to contort is easier than to be criticized like a contortionist. I'm hiding in plain Mm -hmm. sight like a masquerader. I'm chasing perfect versions in the distance like this illusionist. And so we actually put together a quiz where you can start to see which type mm. you are. It takes like two minutes to take. It tells you not only what type you are, but what your strengths are, where you get tripped up That's and awesome. stuck and how you move forward with purpose. And so really quickly, the performer, it's like, do I care about how goals make me feel? Do I care about how chasing goals makes other people see me? Mm-hmm. So the performer cares about both. Yes, yes. Yeah. I need to show other people how far I've come and make myself proud. Tightrope walker doesn't care who's clapping. They just need these higher hits of dopamine. Contortionist doesn't really chase goals themselves, but they do it to please other people. Mm. Both the masquerader and the illusionist are a no-no. They don't really get after them. They don't get started. The masquerader because they don't want to let people down. Mm-hmm. The illusionist because she's waiting on perfect. So if you go to AchieverQuiz.com or MaryMorans.com slash quiz, two minutes, it'll tell you your type. And it's people write me in tears because it is scary. Oh, that's amazing. Those are such unique nuances too. When you explain it that way, I, I, there, it seems like that's definitely the place to start here. Like if you, if you are me and Mary a couple years ago, start with the quiz, let her give you the resources that she had to hard win for all of us. (laughs) Yes. Which type do you think you are just based on that description? Probably the performer. That was a that was a Same. big part of the the whole Enneagram journey and just honestly moving into, you know, somewhat of a public 
life is that I realize often, especially if, if there's like moments of regret or shame that come up, it's, and this is horrible to say, but it's almost less regret about what I've actually done and more regret about how that will affect how people will see me moving forward. Mm. That was how I realized yeah. that was that was the filter through which I was living. Yeah. So I think that yeah. puts me right in your boat, probably as the performer, recovering performers, right. <laughs> recovering achievers. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, you've set the path yes. for us. I'm so grateful. I re I really mean it. I feel like I feel like I don't know a new friend, a long lost sister, a mentor. Y'all yes. go get Mary's book, read it, start to finish read all of the prayers are so gorgeous like that one I read. And if you are visually artistic like Mary and unfortunately not me, you will love and appreciate <laughs> the art in this book too. I mean, it just, it's, it seems like your whole heart on paper. So I'm really grateful for it, you know, as an individual and as a friend and, and to be able to share it with my people. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. I'll be up there. Um, what soon to Connecticut to walk with the dogs, go to the Do beach, <laughs> celebrate something. Cuddle. Float. We float. float on the water. Love it's to great. float. Celebrate something. Yeah. Yes. All of it. All right. Thanks, Mary.